Good morning to you all. It's really good to be with you this morning. I was interested to see that at the time that I arrived, that even the cars practice social distancing in the way they park. As we came in this morning, <laughs> that was interesting. What a beautiful song. God promises us wholeness, and it's that promise that we accept this morning and look forward to as he creates a new earth and a new heaven and a new earth for us to, to populate. I couldn't help but notice the seventh flag on the right. Do you recognize it? Which country is that? The seventh I think on the on this side, the one is number one is straight up, the seventh one on this, and then an angle. Uh, you 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 were you were doing so well, <laughs> but uh, I will tell you that that is the South African flag, and that is where I hail from originally. So. Sorry, we'll get it. We'll get it all together. This morning, I wish to express my appreciation to Dr. Delina and the pastoral staff of this congregation for your invitation to be here with you this morning. I'm also extremely grateful for the loving support of my wife of 33 years. I am first to admit that I am nothing without her, and so I appreciate her support. Today is the first time that I've been in an in-person worship center for more than a year. Our church has yet to return to in-person worship, and it's something special to, to fellowship in this way with you this morning. So I pray that God will speak this morning. You will appreciate that with this sentiment in mind, it has influenced my choice of subject for this morning. My message for this morning is entitled... Sauborn. Sauborn. I'll explain. <laughs> Let us pray. Lord, you promised us the Holy Spirit to interpret your words to us. We pray that you will speak this morning, that we will listen, that we will realize that even though you are a transcendent God, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, you are still an imminent God who wants to be with us, close to us, have a relationship with us. And he wants that relationship to touch others. So speak, we pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yes, I hear you. What is this crazy guy from South Africa talking about? Sauborna. Let me give you a little bit of context to explain the nature of my message this morning. The world is reeling from the effects of the pandemic. We're probably tired of hearing of this, 
this week my, we, were, we were in the living room and the television program came on the air and it had the COVID-19 theme to it. And my wife said, not another. But it's our reality. And today people are suffering from the need for physical contact. The need to be touched. When will it be the time again that I can greet you with a hug or a handshake? When will it be a time when we can stop hiding behind our masks? Putting up with social distancing. But this pandemic has not been like any other. It ceased to be a, just another pandemic when it, came, when it moved from being a, a number to being a name. I don't think there's anyone here this morning who would not know personally someone who has been tested positive with COVID-19 or someone who has died. How do we cope if we don't have Jesus? This morning, as a church, we have the potential to offer the community that we serve something different. And hence the topic of my, my sermon this morning. Saubona. Allow me to take you back to South Africa several years ago. If we were to be walking along a rural path and you would come across me, you would greet me with this Zulu word. Saubona. And you would respond and I would call back to, and respond to you. Yebo, Saubona. You see, it is the greeting that says, I see you. Olin Bishop, a youth worker and community leader, explains the implications of this greeting in a video clip that I viewed recently. He says, this is a primal word that has its roots in a time when people were still able to see each other. Saubona, I see you, is a greeting that shows that there is recognition. It's an act of seeing in the dialogue that establishes you as a witness to some phenomenon that can also be a witness to my own present. Seeing each other, recognizing each other creates an obligation from that point to affirm our agreement to explore mutual potential for life. If we see each other, we may ask, why are we here at the same time? What has this moment of time given us? It becomes an invitation to participate in each other's lives. It obligates each to give, each, to give what will enhance the moment. Isn't that so different from the dog-eat-dog -dog world that we've come to live in today? You're right, I hear you say. Is that what you think I'm saying when I greet you? I should hope so. This was something that happened in a time when, it, when relationships really mattered. When you cared really deeply for those you came in contact with. If you get this picture, you are in a posi good position to appreciate one of the names of God that I think we do not emphasize enough. I'm talking about the name El Roy. The righteous man or woman runs into the strong tower of the God who sees. Did you hear that? Yes. The righteous man or woman runs into the strong tower of the God who sees. I'm not sure if you appreciate that characteristic of God. 
Most people today look at that concept and being travel agents for guilt trips suggest that when God sees us, He's checking up on you. I'd like to suggest that it is so much more than that. When God sees us, it's a special moment. It's an encounter with God that we need to appreciate. Go with me this morning to a hot, barren desert. See with me someone who is running away from her troubles back home. And as she runs from her troubles back home, entering into this desert, she finds a whole new set of challenges that makes the previous situation pale by comparison. She's famished. She's thirsty. Yes, she's delirious. She can't even stand her own body odor. Perspiration combined with the desert dust is now baked onto her skin. But eventually, previous mirages in the distance turns into a real spring of water. You know, of course, that I'm speaking about Hagar this morning. But before we get too far into the story, let's appreciate the context of the story. There are three characters in this developing drama. The first is Abraham, the father of the faithful, who has not always been too faithful. Yes, at this point in the story, he's still Abram, not Abraham. He had departed from, an, uh, from Ur of the Chaldees as an act of significant faith that got him into the hall of fame of Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 verse 8 tells us that God called Abram to travel to another place that he had promised to give him. Abram did not know where that other place was. But he obeyed God and started traveling. Why? Because he had faith. This was an amazing step for Abram. We take it so for granted to, when we travel today. We're used to traveling in a car, on a ship, on an aircraft. But it was nothing like that for Abram. He had no idea what he was to encounter along the way. The hardships, the privation that he would suffer. It is almost understandable that, that when the famine eventually came on that trip, that he turns to Egypt to find help. If this is not a lesson for us during this time of COVID, then I don't know where, what it is. We cannot expect to look to the vaccine to be the panacea for our problem. We must still keep looking to God in this time. And that is what Abraham needed to learn. I, had, I faced a challenge recently that forced me to question my faith. I received a letter from my medical insurance telling me that the medication that I needed had been denied. And I was facing this, the prospect of paying $400 a month for medication that I need. And I was fretting about it as I worked at my home office. When suddenly the music started playing, and that's the nice thing about being working from home, right? You can have your Christian music or good inspirational music playing. And suddenly in that moment, the song changed, and it changed to Jesus is all I need. The next song went on and said, there's healing in his hand. And it seemed as though God was speaking to me, 
saying to me, Salbona, I see you. And that playlist, a random playlist, hammered that message home for me. You see, I have to be honest with you this morning. I came across to the United States, accepted at Andrews University for an MDiv. And then I was told as to what I was to expect. They said to me, you don't know what you're up against. You'll be coming here on a student visa. That means that you'll only be able to work yourself and that 20 hours a week on campus for the first year, 40 hours a week during vacation time. Your wife and children can't, can't, can't get employment because it's not yeah. consistent with the terms of the visa. How are you possibly going to afford it? And I did what Abram did. I looked to corporate America to fund my journey to Canaan. And that was wrong. But God understands. He said to me, Salvana, I still see you. And now in 2021, May 19, I look forward to graduating eventually from my MA in pastoral ministry from Andrews University. 20 years later. So I guess I should not be too critical of Abraham when I did what he did. But let's understand what is happening in the story as we go back to it. You remember what Abraham does when he gets to Egypt. To protect his neck, he says, he suggests to beautiful Sarai to take up the position of being his sister rather than his wife. A seemingly innocent half-truth. Pharaoh becomes aware of beautiful Sarai and takes her to be his wife. Meanwhile, Abram is milking the situation, right? God, Pharaoh blesses him with, the Bible says, with sheep, cattle, donkeys, camels, and men and women servants. Glorious. Remember that in our story, the women servants. God intervenes by sending diseases on Pharaoh and the Egyptian people. And God corrects the course. Because God has to make the point. You cannot take the trip to Canaan and expect Egypt to pay for the trip. There's a second character in this drama. I can only imagine what this Egyptian fiasco meant to Sarai. Imagine if you were. What it meant to her to be discarded by Abram and to be put into the position that she was put into. You see, when you get involved with relationships that involve sexual encounters, the consequences of those relationships forged on intimacy changes things forever. They are huge. We're not told in scripture how close Sarai and Pharaoh actually became. But just the thought that she was being dismissed for that kind of lifestyle was huge. What do you think it did to her sense of self-worth? What did it teach her about the challenges of using sex to get your way? A lesson she obviously does not learn. Because when she is deprived of having a child herself, 
She encourages Abram into an awkward situation that was to have consequences in our story this morning. You see, she does not look to God when she faces a challenge. She looks to the evil practices of the times to deal with, this, with the situation. I must introduce the third actor in this drama this morning. Hagar, according to the Jewish Mishnah, is either a daughter of Pharaoh or a slave given to Sarai as part of a marriage dowry from Pharaoh. She goes into this new Jewish family, Hebrew family. She embraces the family and their God. So when we turn to the book of Genesis chapter 16, which is where we'll spend most of our time this morning, Genesis chapter 16 from verse 1 to 4, it says, states things rather simply, but we must not miss the significance of what is being said. You see, Hagar quickly gets drawn into a rapidly deteriorating situation and becomes an accomplice. In verse 1 of Genesis chapter 16 we read, Sarai, and I'm reading from the easy to read version, so if it's a little different to what you have, you understand why it's different. Sarai was Abram's wife, but she did not have any children. She had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarai told Abram, the Lord has not allowed me to have children, so sleep with my wife, my, my slave, sorry. Maybe she can have a son and I will accept him as my own. Abram did what Sarai said. So after living 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai gave her Egyptian slave to Abram as a second wife. Abram slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. When Hagar realized this, she became very proud and began to feel that she was better than Sarai, her owner. What a mess. You see, let's summarize what's happening here. In this story, she's a foreigner. Therefore, one from outside of the community. What is worse, she's a slave. And what does it mean for somebody who is a slave and an outcast to suddenly not only become the concubine of the boss, she becomes his second wife. So what does she do with this newfound status? My grandmother always spoke of this type of situation when she described it using the words in Afrikaans, Wanneer niets iets wordt. And I guess I need to translate again, right? <laughs> it's when somebody, when nobody becomes somebody. You see, the Bible says that she started to feel better than Sarai, her owner. We know that it's told us that hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. So what happens in this escalating drama? It continues quickly in verse 5. It says, Then Sarai said to Abraham, My slave girl now hates me, and I blame you for this. I gave her to you, and she became pregnant. Oh, it's all Abram's fault. Then she began to feel better, feel that she's better than I am, and I want the Lord to judge which of us is right. You see, Sarai is sensitive to what is really happening in here. Previously, as a slave... Hagar was her property. 
Now she'd lost that right over, over Hagar. And now she turns the, her focus to Abram. But look, look at the actors in this story. It seems like no one wants to own their share of the problem. It's a finger-pointing situation. Verse 6 says, But Abram said to Sarai, She's your slave. You can do anything you want to her. So Sarai was cruel to Hagar. And Hagar ran away. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Hagar? Pregnant, with all the pregnancy hormones coursing through her veins in an emotional mess, putting up with the, the nastiness from Sarai. I wondered what she must have done to her to make her willing to find, to get to the place where the only way out was to run. Follow me and see what happens next as we read in, continue to read in Scripture from verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar. Don't miss that. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring of water in the desert. The spring that was by the road to Shur. The angel said, Hagar, Sarai's slave, why are you here? Where are you going? Hagar said, I'm running away from Sarai. You see, the road to Shur was the road back to Egypt, her native home. But what is interesting in this encounter is that she's not intimidated by the angel of the Lord. She recognizes that this is the angel of the Lord, but she's not intimidated because she's accustomed to this. She'd had the visits. She'd been in Abram's home when the angel of the Lord had visited there. So she was familiar with this visitor. We know that this is the pre-incarnate incarnate Jesus. It is the pre-incarnate Jesus, no less, who is not found by Hagar, but who initiates this rescue mission. It is Jesus who says to her, Saubona, I see you. I dare say that this encounter is just as important as the angel of the Lord's encounter a little later on with Lot. According to the JPS commentary, this is no chance encounter. It is described as deliberate and purposeful. Here it is again. The angel of the Lord said to her, Sarai is your owner. Go home to her and obey her. And the instructions are clear. She's left in no doubt as, well as to what she needs to do. But this is a lesson for us too. When you encounter difficulties and challenges, what are you to do? What are you to learn? You need to go back home. If only we would stay at home. I think that is the lesson that comes through from the story of the prodigal son. The importance of being at home. But that, that's the sermon for another day. You see, we'll come back to the story in a moment. I want to just pause and see what Paul has to say about this in Romans chapter 5. From verse 1 to 5. To describe what our response should be to trials and hardship. He says, we have been made right with God because of our faith. So we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through our faith, Christ has brought us into, the, into that blessing of God's grace that we now enjoy. And we are very happy because of the hope we have of sharing God's glory. Wait a minute, Paul. 
You're talking about something very different here. You're talking about being happy, about being joyful. What's joyful about dealing with an irate other wife? What's joyful about having to deal with the effects of the pandemic that we are going through? What is joyful about the, the, the challenge of sourcing your medication at $400 a month? There's nothing joyful about that. But wait. Paul continues in verse 3. And he says, And we are also happy with the troubles we have. Why are we happy with troubles? Because we know that these troubles make us more patient. And this patience is proof that we are strong. And this proof gives us hope. And this hope will never, never, never disappoint us. We know this because God has poured out His love to fill our hearts through the Holy Spirit He gave us. Like Agar, performing a duty faithfully became a promise of hope for Agar. Let's go back and see that in Genesis chapter 16. I take you back to verse 10. And it's again the angel of the Lord, right? It says, the angel of the Lord also said, from you will come many people, too many people to count. Then the angel of the Lord said, Hagar, you are now pregnant and you will have a son. You will name him Ishmael because the Lord has heard that you were treated badly. Ishmael will be wild and free like a wild donkey. He will be against everyone, and everyone will be against him. He will move from place to place and camp near his brothers. The Lord talked to Agar. Notice what happens. She began to use a new name for God. She said to him, You are the God who sees me. She said this because she thought, I see that even in this place, God sees me and cares for me. So the well there was called Beer Lahai Roi. It is between Kadesh and Beret. Hagar gave birth to Abram's son, and Abram named the son Ishmael. What a powerful picture! She names the well, Bir Lahai Roi, which means the well of the living one who sees me, Salbona. This abandoned, pregnant Egyptian maid of Sarai, considered as Sabram's second wife, is seen by God. She's not inferior. She's not an outcast to him. Allow me to quickly make four points. That we, must, that we must be careful not to miss. The first point is that Hagar, whose name means flight. Did you know that? Yes. Her name means flight, lives up to her name as she runs away from a situation she's party to creating. She's a, she's a culprit here. She's not just a victim. She's part of the problem. A situation where she had aroused the ire of Sarai by mocking her barren state. Sarai blames Abram, Abram and then she mistreats Agar. 
All three of them are tortured by the consequences of their actions. And yes, folk, I tell you today that your actions will have consequences. It doesn't mean that God is not seeing you. It's been your choice and the consequences of your choice. Gordon MacDonald puts it this way. He says, in whatever, in whatever man does without God, he must either fail miserably or succeed even more miserably. Think about that. Ask Abram, I would add. Number two, God sees that even when we try to run ahead of God's timetable or attempt to do it our way, He stays engaged and does not let us go. What, that's what Hagar found out. She, she made them, caused them, party to causing the mess. She runs away, and when she runs away, what does she do? She finds God waiting for her. He's the one who says, Sal Bona. You see, someone has said, Grief has an eloquent voice when mercy is the listener. And woe has a plea which goodness cannot resist. And she responds to that love of God like you cannot believe. You see, the third point is this at the well. Hagar gets a picture of God's love, care, and providence for her despite her past mistakes. As we create this changed atmosphere in our churches, where people feel that they are seen and they are recognized, and we say, not just with our words, but with our actions, Sao Bona, I see you. I want to engage with you and have a relationship with you. They will see us as those who truly love and care and do not judge. At our church, we, may, we, we, we say the following. You are always, you never judged, but always challenged. It's a balance that we battle to achieve, but it's an important balance that we need to recognize. But there's something, the fourth point that I want to make. And she's instructed to name the boy Ishmael. What does that mean? It means God hears. Because the truth of the story is, not only does God see her, but God hears her. And this is not a one-off promise because there's a sequel to this drama. We come back to it again in, in Genesis 21. Let's read through it quickly from verse 8. Isaac continued to grow and soon he was old enough to begin eating solid food. So Abram gave a big party. Sarah, she was now Sarah at this time, saw Hagar's son playing. Hagar was the Egyptian slave woman who gave birth to Abram's first son, the Bible explains. Verse 10, Sarah said to Abram, get rid of that slave woman and her son. Send them away. When we die, our son Isaac will get everything we have. I don't want that slave, want that slave woman's son sharing any of these things with my son Isaac. This upset Abram very much. He was worried about his son Ishmael. But God. Verse 12 starts out and says, But God said to Abram, Don't worry about this boy and the slave woman. Do what Sarah wants. Your descendants will be, as, be those who come through Isaac. But I will also bless the son of your slave woman. 
He is your son, so I will make a great nation from his family also. Early the next morning, Abram took some food and water and gave them to Agar. She carried them and left with her boy. What a sad picture. She left that place and wandered into the desert of Beersheba. After some time, when all their drinking water was gone, Hagar put her son under a bush. Then she walked a short distance away and sat down. She thought her son would die because there was no water. She did not want to, catch, to watch him die. She sat there and began to cry. Verse 17 says, God heard the boy crying. And God's angel called to Hagar from heaven. He said, what is wrong, Hagar? Don't be afraid. God has heard the boy crying there. Go help the boy. Hold his hand and lead him. I will make him and the, the father of many people. Then God allowed Hagar to see a well of water. She went to the well and filled a bag with water. Then she gave water to the boy to drink. God continued to be with the boy while he grew up. Ishmael lived in the desert and became a hunter. He learned to shoot the bow very well. His mother found a wife for him in Egypt. They continued to live in the Paran Desert. Did you notice this? Something that happens in this story again? The instant something goes wrong, God hears and responds. He's made a promise to Agar at, at the first spring that he continues to keep. That's the way God operates. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 33, verse 13 to 15, The Lord looked down from heaven and saw all the people. From his high throne, he looked down at all the people living on the earth. He created every person's mind, and he knows what each one is doing. He understands. He sees. He hears, and he responds. Saints, this morning, I say to you, that there are two implications of this God, El Roi, who sees. The first implication is that God will never abandon us, no matter the circumstances, unless we insist on a life apart from Him. I hope that that will never be your choice. That you will always expose yourself to the grace of God. You see, you never need to be alone. You can go to Him with any and every situation, knowing that He will not forsake you. Take your joys to him today. But also take your hurts and your messes to him as well. The second implication it is, is that God calls us today to develop the same attitude that he has to us, to others who walk through the door of this church. People come to our fellowship in need. They're hurting like Hagar was hurting. They need the love and care and attention that God provided to us, extended to them. This is our response to social distancing. In, spirit, in the spiritual life, there is no distancing. We are always close and connected through the love of God. So you're probably wondering about the medication. In that same week, I received two pieces of mail in the post. 
I opened the first one, and it was a letter from the medical insurance saying, we have reassessed your case and, and concluded that on the basis of medical necessity, we will be approving all strengths of the medication. Amen. That's their portion. But remember, there's still the copay, which can be huge if you haven't met your deductible, right? I opened the second envelope. It was a letter from one of the, the foundations offering me a grant to cover my copays and deductible. Praise God. He's faithful. El Royi sees us. He says, Saubona, I want to be in a relationship with you. Pray that God will keep us in that attitude and that frame of mind so that he can work out his love and, and extend his love through each one of us is my prayer. Father in heaven, we hear you greeting us today, Saubona. We realize that you are actually saying we see you because your Father, Son, and Holy Spirit choose to enter into an, a relationship with us, undeserving though we are. That gives our lives so much more impact and potential. But we pray, Lord, that we will not be selfish in this attention, that we understand that every good and every perfect gift is from above, yes, but you intend, Lord, for us to use it to bless and serve others, not just ourselves. Make us, give us impact in this world today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.